At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Good morning, Gospel Community Church, and to all those who are with us via Facebook Live and YouTube Live. I'm glad that you've joined us today, and I pray that God speaks powerfully to each of us as we look into His perfect and His inerrant Word. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Philippians and continuing our series called Philippians, The Fellowship of Believers in Turbulent Times. Today, we look at one of the most famous passages of the entire book of Philippians. If you have your mobile device, your laptop, or maybe you're going to go old school with me today and use your your Bible, uh, open it, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Before we even start, I want to give you the big idea for our study today. If you don't hear another word that I say, Let these words be put on the mantle in your heart's living room. Listen closely. If you're taking notes, here's the sermon in a nutshell. One with a humble heart models Jesus to the world by radically loving others, emptying themselves to be a servant of all. Now let's look at the first two verses of Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul says, and he begins this passage with one word, the word so. So we have to stop right there and we have to ask the question, Paul, so what? So is an important connecting word here. Paul is connecting the idea of a life, uh, living a life worthy of the gospel with how that works out in our daily lives. Since there are no chapter and no verse divisions in the original text, it flows that what from what we might call the end of chapter 1, verse 30, into chapter 2, verse 1. So what does Paul want us to look at? We have to look back at the end of chapter 1 to understand what he wants us to see. If we look back at the end of chapter 1, The so leads us back to the ideas of a life worthy of the gospel, to Paul asking now in chapter 2, asking the Philippians to complete his joy in verse 2. From the sermon last week, we saw in verses 27 through 30 that living a life worthy of the gospel meant some things. Here are these things. Standing firm in the gospel striving to apply the gospel in our lives, standing side by side in the unity of the gospel, 
and standing fearlessly in the strength of the gospel to face the difficulties and sufferings of life. Paul encouraged the Philippians that by living for the gospel, they would be able to display unity and fearlessness in the face of certain suffering. Which, by the way, this suffering that God has granted to us, suffering that he has bestowed upon us and has gifted to us. He has gifted us this privilege of suffering for the sake of of the gospel and for the sake of Christ. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now let's continue as we move through this passage to Paul's thoughts in chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. In verse 1, Paul's use of the word so could also be translated if therefore, or therefore because of these things. He's not using the word if as we would use that word in our common language. He's not using it at all like that. He's not using it as if we would say, if it rains today, I won't water the garden. Today we use that word to indicate a, a certain level of uncertainty. Like if, I, if it rains today, I won't water the garden. Paul is saying what it, it, it might not what it might be true, but it obviously is true. Of course these things are true. Based on what he said in verses 27 through 30, it is obvious that these things in verse 1 are true. Obviously, there is encouragement in Christ. His life gives me courage. Obviously, there is comfort from love. He comforts me with his love, which is shed abroad in our hearts by the work of the Spirit. Obviously, there is participation in the Spirit. He is working among us, guiding us into all truth. Obviously, there is affection and sympathy. He is deepening our love for him and for one another teaching us to be tender and compassionate toward each other. It's obvious. Of course it's true. So Paul continues in verse 2 with, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He begins with, Complete my joy. Now, there must be something going on in the Philippian church that is causing Paul's joy to be less than complete. So Paul asks the Philippians to allow God to do a deeper work within them. He says, complete my joy. Let's look more closely at the four things Paul asks of the Philippians. As you read in verse 2, you see the same word used at the beginning 
and at the end of the list. Same mind and one mind. Don't let that bother you. We'll clear that up in just a minute. The first phrase we see is complete my joy by being of the same mind. Truthfully, in English, we have a hard time translating the subtle shades of meaning produced by these pre different prefixes used on the same Greek word. That Greek word is frenete. This first shade of meaning indicates that Paul wants them to have a common mental framework, a common mental framework. John Piper explains that to mean have the same attitude set for your thinking. The New American Standard Version of the Scriptures translates this word as being like-minded. It is the same word used in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, which says, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be, here's that word, be like-minded. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Paul wants them to have the same inner structure of truth governing their lives. Paul wants the Philippians to have the same attitude set or to have a unity of mind. The next phrase is having the same love. Agape is the word used for love here, a word that most of us are probably familiar with. But agape is a word, it is a doing word. It is not a feeling word. It does not require that we approve of the actions of the person we are to agape or that we even enjoy their company. But it does require that we act on behalf of that person. The focus of agape is giving and not getting. He appeals to the Philippians to cultivate a unity of heart ruled by the law of love. They were to do what the law of love demanded in their relationships. We will see in a few minutes that they are to have a self-sacrificing, selfless kind of love for each other. In other words, it's a unity of heart. The third phrase is being of full accord. Another translation of this is to be united in soul. To be in full accord says that we have a unity of the soul. We are to have a unity that is deeper than our favorite football teams. It is deeper than, our, than the amount of spice we like on our food. It is, it is deeper than bloodlines. It is deeper than any preferences. This word is amazing because it doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. One commentator described the word for being in full accord as a union of soul as if one soul actuated all of them. It's as if one soul controlled all of them. Another commentator described it as having the same affection, judgment, and will 
as the first Christians are said to be of one heart and of one soul. Paul is asking them to be united in soul. The last phrase is, and of one mind. Now we're back to that Greek word we used a few minutes ago, phrenete. The form of the word here is to have a single purpose, to be single purposed. Paul is encouraging them to be characterized by having one driving force, this driving force that is motivating them in all of their relationships. Matthew Poole said, being of one mind meant agreeing as to the main thing and intent on one purpose or one goal. And that goal being, that goal being to honor Christ by loving and serving others, just as Christ lived to serve us. Not just to have one purpose, but acting together toward that purpose. It was not just a mental ascent to the purpose, but there was a unity of action to fulfill that purpose. What a daunting task it must have been. Paul is asking the Philippians to accomplish amazing things. So how could we ever be of one mind? How could we ever be of one purpose according to these definitions that Paul is using here? How can the things in verse 2 come about? Well, thankfully, Paul is a great teacher. And not only is he a great teacher, but he has slid us the answer as well. He gives us in verses 3 and 4 the only way for us to be of one mind, to be of the same love, to be in full accord, to be of one mind. The only way that we can do that is to humble ourselves. He starts in verse three here with the command, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four continues, let each of you look not only to the to his own interest, but also to the interests of of others. Verses three and four are pivotal verses in chapter two. Paul follows this imperative by giving examples of this kind of humility in the life of Jesus, and then he does it in his own life, and then he does it in the life of Timothy, and then in the life of Epaphroditus. He tells us to humble ourselves and then in verses 5 through the rest of the chapter, he unpacks what it means to live a life of humility. Now let's look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. In Philippians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 15, there are indications that jealous preachers were stirring up strife within the Philippian church. And this may be why Paul's joy is yet to be complete. These preachers desired to be the ones esteemed by the people for their own selfish ambition and gain. Now Paul was more esteemed than ever 
because he was in jail and he was thriving. He was still living for Jesus in the midst of suffering. They were envious of Paul and their rivalry with him was a divisive influence in the Philippian church. Paul contrasts one who is self-centered with one who puts others first. We are to put away selfishness and empty conceit. Instead, we should choose humility, which allows us to think of others as more important than ourselves. Humility looks for ways to lift others and to serve them. Let's look at the, some of the important words that help us understand what Paul is saying in these verses. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfishness is the Greek word arithia. That refers to a person who is not only selfish, but probably doesn't care who they hurt on their way to reaching their goal. It also has the connotation of an ugliness of spirit that lends itself to the stirring up of strife and injury. This is a person who stirs up stuff among the church members for their own advancement. Conceit is the Greek word kenodoxian. It means empty glory or glory that has no basis in fact. We sometimes refer to this as a person who's puffed up or someone who is full of hot air. Another common phrase would be that this person is an empty suit. People who put on the outward signs of authority but have little substance to offer. It may be said that this person talks a lot but really doesn't have anything to say. Humility in, in the Greek is the word tapienos, which means lowly, humble, or of low degree. Paul is asking the Philippians to choose the humble opinion of themselves or to be willing to accept a lower place. Think about this with me for a minute. High and low are relative words that require personal judgment. Our judgment will depend on our own standard of measurement. Let me give you an example. Let's say that your son is two years old and to him you seem like a giant, even though you may only be five feet tall. We can always seem to find someone to measure ourselves against that allows us to come out on top. And we do this more often than we think. Maybe this is below the surface kind of feelings. Have you ever thought, well, at least I'm not like old so-and-so. But Paul is calling us. He's calling us to true humility where we measure ourselves not against other people, but we measure ourselves against the standard of holiness in Christ where we always fall short. 
when we measure ourselves against His holiness, we are always in a low place. Realizing this allows us to make great strides toward true humility, choosing the low place from which to serve others sacrificially. It is not about who is higher. It's not about who is better at anything. All of our self-efforts are worthless anyway. But it is all about becoming like our example, the one who voluntarily chose to come to us, who lowered himself to become a man, who chose to serve and to die for undeserving, undeserving people at a great personal cost. The word for more significant, hyperikontas, means excellent or superior, something that stands above all else, a, a prize winner. When you think of your brothers and sisters of Gospel Community Church, do you elevate them to the level of prize winner? Can you choose to honor them as such? That is what it means to count others as more significant than yourself. We look to give them the place of honor. Andrew Murray said, the humble person is not the one who thinks less of himself. He simply doesn't think of himself at all. The humble person's eyes are turned away from himself and focused on the needs of others. A truly humble person remembers who he was without Christ and now gratefully with a heart of gratitude and excitement accepts who he is in Christ. He can now yield himself as a servant for the glory of God and the good of others. Unfortunately, there can be no joy in the life of a believer who puts himself above others. Where there is selfishness, where there is empty conceit, where there is empty glory or vain glory, there is a pursuit of personal influence and recognition. Humility cannot exist in the same place as these prideful desires. Humility means that we yield ourselves to Christ to be a servant, to use what we are and have for the glory of God and for the good of other people. As you can see, the word others is central to the entire second chapter. We see it again in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul says to look out for the interest of others. One with a humble heart models the sacrifice of Jesus to the world by emptying themselves or laying down their position and rights, lowering themselves to be a servant of all. Just like the doctor in the New York hospital who was videoed mopping the floor of a COVID-19's patient's room. He did it so that the custodian who was supposed to come in after him 
did not have to come in at all because the doctor knew that that custodian didn't have all the protective wear, the protective gear that he needed. And for that custodian to come into that room of that ill patient was to expose that custodian to the virus. And so after a long day, after an exhausting 12 hour shift with his protective gear on, tired, he chose to serve and to humble himself and to do for someone else. The ultimate example of humility is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, where it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do we live out a life of humility? So here's the feel-good section of our talk today. How do we move toward being characterized by humility of mind? This is the feel-good section where we think about the application of the truths that we've learned today. How do we move toward being characterized by humility of mind? Obviously, this is a journey. It's a lifelong journey. I want to read a passage to you that I think is pertinent as we walk this journey together. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 11, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He quotes James 4, 6 there. Verse 6 in 1 Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, before you even think about it, don't worry, I'm not going to unpack that passage. But I want to draw your attention to the phrase, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. As elementary as it may sound, this passage is, is amazing. And if you want to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, you should have quality time with him every day. It says in the passage above, humble yourselves. And then the very next verse, it says, casting, your anxiety, casting all your anxieties on him. He knew that this was going to be difficult for us. He knew that it was, it was hard for us to lay aside all of our selfish desires. And yet he says, humble yourselves, cast your anxieties upon me, and I will help you do it. 
this act of submission, this act of submission in coming before him every day in quality, wonderful experiences with God in his word, it's it's an act of submission in and of itself. As you read God's word, as you seek his guidance, as you cry out to him in prayer, as you lay your anxieties before him, as you submit your life afresh to his lordship, he understands our needs. He understands that we'll struggle, but he is there. He has walked this journey before us and he can help us. First Peter tells us that God will give grace to the humble and he will oppose the proud. You can humble yourself every day in your personal time with God. Personal time with the God of the universe. Or you can choose. You can choose to have him oppose you in your pride. I realize that's that's a hard thing to say. But I want desperately, I want God to pour out his grace on all of us, on all of Gospel Community Church, on every believer as we lay our lives before him and before others in humility. Let me give you five quick application points. Here we go. Number one, I want you to do a personal study on who you are in Christ so that you understand the desire and power to serve others has to flow from his life coming out of you. You can't drum up humility because when you do that, if you're trying to force humility, then you're still focused on yourself. You can't do it. You have to take your eyes off of yourself for you to truly be humble. Your eyes have to go to Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that we had to be looking at. And then he will help us see the needs and how to serve others. His life has to flow from within us. Number two, look for opportunities to serve others freely, even when it makes you uncomfortable or when it hurts. Christ didn't say you had to like them. He said you had to love them. You had to serve them. And sometimes the the most amazing things happen when you serve someone that you may not like, when you're uncomfortable, because God then pours his grace into your life. Number three, be willing to lay down your personal rights or our right to be right. Lay down your personal rights, your status, and the desire to be significant, the desire to be important. This is a big one at your house between you and your spouse, between you and your children. Laying down your right to be right your right to be the boss, to have the higher place, the higher position, the position of authority, the person who is known. Be willing to lay that down in service to others. Number four, 
Ask God to reveal areas of pride in you that create the need to be known or to push for recognition instead of choosing to make others the prize winner. When we feel the need to be out front, to have the the spotlight on us all the time, to push ourselves out front for recognition, then, then we can't let other people be the prize winner. We can't honor other people freely. We can't set them up and honor them because we're pushing our way to the front. And God says, give the prize to someone else. Give the honor to someone else. Give the place of honor to others. Number five, choose to serve because of the blessing it will give to the other person. Look for opportunities to give to the other person, not because of what it will do for you, but what it will do for them and how it will encourage them, how it will show love to them, how it will show Jesus to them, how you will explain the magnificence of a relationship with Christ to them. This is how you will do that, by loving them, by looking for ways to bless them. Those are our five quick application points. Now let's revisit the, the nutshell as we begin to close. The nutshell is this. This is what I want you to grab today. One with a humble heart models Jesus to the world by radically loving others, emptying themselves to be the servant of all. I ask you today, join Jesus in loving and serving others, loving and serving others through radical humility. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would use your word today as as a scalpel cutting deep into our heart exposing our our anxieties, our fears, our needs, and that we would lay those needs and anxieties and fears before you, knowing that you will pour your grace all over us as we humble ourselves before you, as we lay our lives before you, as we lay before you with our face to the floor, God, not looking to the left or to the right to see who's looking or, or what's going on around us, but are with our faces to the floor, focused on you, focused on listening to the Spirit's voice so that we might be obedient, so that we can lower ourselves before you and lower ourselves before our brothers and sisters to lovingly serve through radical, radical love and radical humility. We ask you to do this in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit GospelCC.com for more content like this.
At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.